Let us pray for the preached word. Our Father in heaven, would you grant to us ears to hear and hearts ready to receive your word? O Spirit, will you come and explain the word to us through Pastor David Bain? Would you be with him as he opens the word with us, that you would give him clarity of mind and of speech? We thank you for your provision while our pastor is away for another preacher to come in. We thank you that you have gifted Pastor Bain uh, to teach the word and expound it. It's your name I pray. Amen. It's a blessing to be back with you today and uh, appreciate all your hospitality and looking forward to the fellowship later. Um, my wife, Lydia, would have liked to have come with me, but it was a bit too much right now with the two-year-old and the nine-month-old, so I left the nine-year-old with her and brought a couple of the middle ones with me, so uh, delighted to be here today. Our text words are from Psalm 119. Verses 65-72. Psalm 119, 65, hear the word of the Lord. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for the revelation of your word that you've given us, and that as we read it, our great prophet, our Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to us by the Spirit, and as the word is preached, he speaks to us. And we pray now for the help and grace of your spirit that this word may go forth in clarity, that Christ would be preached in your power to the edification of your people and to the salvation of sinners, we ask you in Jesus' name, amen. I want to concentrate here on verse 71 where the psalmist says, it is good for me that I've been afflicted that I may learn your statutes. He's already told us in this chapter or in this section of this psalm that the Lord himself is good. We all as Christians believe and confess the goodness of God. We know God is good and we can think of all kinds of ways that God has been good to us. If I were to ask you right now to take out an index card and write out the top five ways that God has been good to you, what would you write on that card? probably right. First of all, God has been good 
as manifest in my salvation. I've been converted to Christ. God brought me from darkness to light, and that would be a great evidence of God's goodness and His special grace to you. You might say, as far as common grace gifts go, it's good for me that I've become married. You can see the goodness of God in that. It's good for me that I've become a parent. God's blessed me with a child or with children. It's good for me that God has supplied my daily needs. We could go on and on. The list would be infinite. We could never measure up. We could never recollect and count all the different ways that God's been good to us. But if this psalmist were here and he was writing out his list, afflictions would be on that list. I know God is good because of how God has afflicted me. Would that be on your list? Would that naturally come to your mind? Well, it came to the psalmist's mind. He saw evidence of God's goodness in God sending affliction upon him. Now this term affliction, it's used throughout the Old Testament and it has to do literally with being bowed down low, being humiliated. Here specifically, it's to be bowed down under the chastening rod of God. God disciplining His children in love, but yet it's painful for the child. That's the idea here of afflictions. He says it's good for me to be afflicted. The term good is that it's, it's valuable. It's useful that I've been afflicted. Now how can that be? How can the psalmist bring those two things together? Goodness and affliction. It's good for me that I've been humiliated. It's good for me that I've been bowed down low to the ground with sorrow, with pain. Afflictions can come upon you in the many different forms. It could be a health crisis. It could be declining health. It could be a tragedy, a loss of a loved one, unexpected tragedy, long-term tragedy. It could be financial crisis. Affliction could come upon you in the form of daily annoyances that you have to live with every day. And if there's anything you could do to change it, you would change it, but you can't. And it's painful to a greater or lesser degree or it's something that is undesirable. But you can't change it. It could come upon you in the form of enemies who slander you. That's at least one thing that the psalmist experienced. He talks about here his enemies smearing him with lies, slandering him with lies to ruin his good name. And they seem like they're prospering. And yet he's afflicted. Affliction can come upon you in all these ways, dear believer. And yet, every one of them comes to you from the goodness of God. We can't comprehend, we can't understand how that afflictions can be for our good until we consider the good God who sends all afflictions upon His people. We know and confess that God's sovereign over all things. God decrees all things. There's not one atom in the entire universe that's outside of God's sovereign decree and providence. We read about providence today. God's wise governing of all things. Down to the very details, not just nations, not just the the heavenly uh, stars and galaxies and all of those great things, but even the very minor details, the very head, uh, hairs of your head are numbered, remember Jesus said. So we know that whatever afflictions come upon us come to us in the purpose of God. 
And we may not always be able to connect the dots and see how is this situation for my good? I know God has allowed it. I know God could have stopped it or prevented it if it was His will, but no. God has brought this affliction upon me. And I can't see how it's for my good. I can't see any good in it. And when you experience that, dear believer, you have to remember that God Himself is good. You have to keep coming back to this and coming back to this. One reason it's so important is because Satan, from the beginning, tempts mankind. He tempted our first parents, and he will tempt you to question and to doubt the goodness of God to you. This was the first poison arrow that Satan shot into the mind of man in the garden. Remember how God had placed our first parents there and given them that whole garden full of trees, but to remind them that God is God and they are not. God marked off one tree and said, you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree, remember. And when Satan came to Eve in the form of a serpent, what did Satan say to her? Did he come and point out to Eve and remind her, look how good God's been to you. Look at all these trees that you can eat the fruit of freely. More than you could ever eat. Oh no. Satan pointed out and put the spotlight on that one tree that God held back from them. And the implication was God has held back something good you deserve. God should have given you that tree and he hasn't. Go ahead and take it for yourself. But the root of it was a questioning of the goodness of God. God hasn't been good to you, Eve, or he would have given you that tree. It's it's good for you. Take it. And you know the rest of the story of where that led. And Satan still uses that same temptation on Christians. He will never highlight all the infinite ways that God has been good to you. He'll make you think over and mull over and grieve over and get bitter over that one thing you wanted in life and you can't have it. That one thing that you wish was different that is hurtful or painful or undesirable You'll be tempted to listen to Satan's lie. And I encourage you, dear Christian, if you ever have thoughts questioning the goodness of God, they're from Satan. Those thoughts are never holy. They're never true. But this is one reason we need to be reminded of the goodness of God. When we think of the goodness of God, we have to go outside this creaturely world to know what Scripture's talking about. We know that all creation reflects to some degree the goodness of God. And man, especially as the image of God, we especially reflect our God in whose image we're made. But all creation are just faint analogies. We are analogies of God who made us. We're image bearers as humans. Whatever created goodness we see in this universe, whatever we see of the best of God's gifts He's given us, these are but faint creaturely analogs, faint creaturely reflections of the infinite goodness of God, which is in God in a way that it's not in creatures, in a way we cannot comprehend in our creaturely minds and we never will comprehend. This is a vast and an infinite goodness beyond creaturely goodness. Only God is good originally. 
And by original, I mean he's the origin of all goodness. All creatures participate in God's goodness. We derive our goodness from another. Whatever is good about us, whatever is lovely about this universe, angels included, we derive it from God. We derive it from another. It's just a reflection of his own goodness, but God doesn't derive his goodness from anyone. He is his own goodness. He's good of his own essence. He's good of his own original. He's the origin of all created goodness. He has it in and of himself. God only is absolutely good. Only God is good absolutely. Now, as humans created in God's image, and especially you think about us pre-fall, we're partly good. We have the ability to be good. But God is not composed of parts like we are. For us as humans, for us as creatures, for us to be and to be good are not the same thing. We can be without being good. But since our God, as we confess, is simple, He's not composed of parts, then God's goodness just is God. And this means that goodness is not something God has, it's just who God is. It's not something added to God's being like it is added to our being. No, God just is His own goodness. And therefore, if God is not partly good, He just is good, how could He ever not be good? He's all good. And we can say that about all of God's attributes. As we, the only way we can comprehend and speak of God is in our creaturely way of analogy and And speaking these different attributes about God, we know in God, all that is in God is God, including His goodness. He's absolutely good. Only God is eternally and immutably good. God never became good because He always has been. He can't be any more good than He is because He's unchangeable. He's infinitely good. When we think about God's goodness, we automatically tend to think, well, God is good in relation to us as creatures. You can see it throughout the created universe, everything from archangels down to amoebas and everything in between. You see the fullness of God's goodness on display in creation. The psalmist cries out about the human body. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You can see God's goodness in that. And we think, well, God is good in relation to us. And yeah, that's true. But God was good before there was ever an us to be good too. And when God created all things and bestowed being upon us, gave us being, brought us out of non-being because of His goodness, when God did that, it didn't add anything to His goodness. It can't be added to. It was already infinite. We get to participate in and enjoy His goodness, but it didn't add anything to God. And I remind you as a believer, when you can't see God's goodness, when you're in such a dark trial, that you have to do as the psalmist said, I I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You can't see how God's working it out. You can still know God is good. And if He's never changed, if He can't change, 
then he can't be otherwise than good. You know the only way God could stop being good? Is if God ceased to exist. Since God is his own goodness and you can't separate God's goodness from God. It's not some distinct part of God. It just is God being good. Then for God to not be good would for be, be for God to not be God. And that's absolutely impossible. Come back to this over and over, dear believer, when you're tempted to think that God has not been good to you. Before we even consider how God works things to our good, we can already know God is good and therefore all that God does is good. With this in mind, we want to consider the theme today of God's goodness in saints' afflictions. God's goodness in saints' afflictions. We'll see it in three basic thoughts. First of all, consider from this text the praise of affliction. The psalmist tells us, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. This teaches us and reminds us that God orders afflictions For the good of us as his elect. He orders all afflictions for our good. Remember what Paul told us in Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. To those that love God. To those who are the called according to God's purpose. All things. Including afflictions. I'm glad Paul didn't say most things. Most things work together for good. Otherwise, that one thing, that one trial, that one affliction that you can't see any good end in right now, you can't see any goodness coming from it now. You would be able to say, yeah, most things work together for good, but not this thing. God's not working this together for good for me. But since God said all things, that includes all afflictions, all pain, all undesirable circumstances, all heartache, all emotional crisis, all relational crisis, everything unpleasant, everything seemingly unbearable, everything evil that could come against you, everything your enemies could do to you, everything they could say about you, all of it, all afflictions are working together. God is working them together for your good. And this is what the psalmist is acknowledging As Christians, we must be able with the psalmist to praise God for the afflictions that he sent. This doesn't mean that we have a glib attitude or that we try to laugh or or smile under the chastening rod of God. That's not at all. But rather, remember how Job, when he was being crushed down under the load of affliction, when he He lost all of his ten children to death in one day. And he lost his health. And he lost his finances and all his earthly possessions in one day. Remember how he sinks down to the ground. And even out of the, the depths of pain and despair in that affliction, he cries out, glory to God. It's God that is given. It's God who takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what God calls us to do along with the psalmist. To praise God, to say with the psalmist, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. This reminds us as believers that we must repent 
of every lack of giving praise to God for the afflictions He sent upon us. If we withhold praise to God, if we if we hold back from acknowledging the goodness of God in our afflictions, then we're sinning against God. He deserves praise. Even when we can't understand. When we can't understand how it's working for our good, we do not comprehend God's ways. They're above our ways as the heavens are high above the earth. Who has known the mind of the Lord, Paul tells us. How unsearchable are His ways. His, his ways are past finding out. But yet we are to worship and praise God even in and for afflictions. And to not do so is sin. When we speak murmuring words, we speak complaining words against God's providence. We blank out all the good God's done and we focus on that one thing and just keep rehearsing it. Keep, that's our entire life. It dominates us. It dominates our conversation about God. It, it dominates our attitude. It dominates our thinking. And rather than giving thanks and praise to God, we give murmuring. Rather than thinking thoughts of God as the psalmist did here, praising God's goodness, we think thoughts of Bitterness and resentment. This is sinful. It's evil. It's satanic in origin to question or to cast shadow upon the goodness of God. Oh, dear believer, if you're having thoughts like that, God calls us to repent of them. God calls us to give glory and praise to Him even in and for afflictions. And in this, I remind you and I point you to Jesus Christ, the only man who never sinfully complained under affliction. Jesus Christ, your Lord, your Savior, your representative, who's the only man who has always responded rightly to affliction. And not just the, not just the light disciplining rod that we feel, even the very worst pain and affliction in this life, if we live a thousand years of affliction, it's just the light rod of God's fatherly, loving, ju- uh, loving discipline. But our Lord Jesus there at the cross faced the unbridled wrath and fury of God, the hellish damnation and judgment of God that we deserved. And even under this, He never complained. Even when He was so crushed in the garden that He sweat great drops of blood, and he, he cried out in agony. He never complained against his Father. And even on the cross, in the words of the Psalms, he uttered praise, even to his dying breath. He trusted his Father. Into your hands I commend my spirit. And our Lord Jesus lived this perfect life in your place, dear believer. God credits all that righteousness to you. That's how God views you, as if you lived that life. For every sinful complaint, every sinful doubting of God and His goodness, Christ paid for that on the cross. All your sins are taken away. All His perfect righteousness is credited to you. And now, out of the overflow of this free grace, He calls you by the help of His Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you 
to help you and enable you to praise God in times you, you never would have thought you were, would be able to. And I encourage you to give God glory even in afflictions and for afflictions. This is the praise of affliction. It's good for me. Secondly, we consider the product of affliction. The psalmist says here in verse 71, it's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. God had a good product, a good end, that he used afflictions to bring the psalmist to. He brought him to that good end. It wasn't pointless. It wasn't that he was running on a hamster wheel and he gets off at the same place he got on and nothing was accomplished. It was for no reason. It wasn't as if God's just making him suffer for no reason. No, for the Christian, afflictions are always unto a good end for you. The outcome is always good for you, dear believer. This reminds us what Scripture teaches throughout, and this verse teaches that God uses affliction for our learning and for our sanctification. God uses affliction for proactive training and proactive teaching of us as His children. Not, not, all, not all afflictions are what we might think of as reactive discipline. You know what reactive discipline is? When your kid disobeys and they get a whooping, that's reactive. But there's more to child training than that. If that's all you do, that's a, you know, that's, that's a highly impoverished way of child training. There is positive instruction where you purposely spend time with your child. You teach them things in a controlled environment that will save their life later. You don't let them, when they're a toddler, wander over to that red hot stove eye and stick their hand on it to find out what hot means. You take a warm coffee mug when you're drinking your coffee and let them feel of it until they're uncomfortable and they pull their hand back and they realize, oh, that's, that's hot. That's undesirable. And you teach them the word hot and then they know not to touch that red stove eye. You're putting them through training that may be uncomfortable, it may be undesirable, but you're saving them from a whole lot worse if you hadn't have trained them that way. God proactively trains us as His children by affliction. He prevents us from falling into sin that we may have fallen into otherwise. He prepares us to withstand trials and temptations later on. And just because God sends afflictions doesn't mean necessarily that it's for some sin. Remember, Job's friends thought that's what it was. Job, you must be living in secret sin. Basically, God's giving you a whooping by doing this, and it's because of something you did. But we know it's not. It was proactive training and discipline. God works this way in you as a believer through affliction. In this, He uses afflictions to mold you into the image of Christ. Just like the blacksmith who takes that metal and he strikes it and strikes it and he heats it up till it's glowing red and he strikes it with a hammer and strikes it. 
But he's not doing it because he's angry at that metal. He's doing it because he's got a good purpose in mind, and all the time he's shaping it into exactly what he wants it to be. And every time you come off the anvil of affliction, dear believer, you look more like Jesus Christ. You're more conformed to Christ than you were before. Always, in every affliction, God has this good purpose in mind that he's bringing you to. God uses afflictions in a way that you might call reactive instruction, not, you know, we're speaking by way of analogy and metaphor, not that God sees events and then reacts. We know that God's immutable and changeable, but for our way of thinking about it, there are afflictions that God sends to discipline us, to correct us from sin we've committed. We see this all throughout (coughs) Scripture. You can even see it with Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Remember how he says there in 12.7, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Yes, the Apostle Paul himself struggled with pride, ungodly, wicked pride, and God gave him afflictions to train him and to work that pride out of him. That's one of the purposes God sends it upon us. And if we were to ask Paul, he would be able to tell us with the psalmist here in this this section of Psalm 119 in, in verse 72, the psalmist at the end of it says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. He had a greater value for God's Word. He loved God better after the afflictions than he did before. He treasured God's Word more after the afflictions than he did before. Paul would say the same thing. It was painful. Paul would say this thorn in the flesh was painful. I asked God three times to remove it, and God would not remove it. But this is what God said Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul says, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then... I'm strong. Paul tells us also that in these afflictions, the final glory far outweighs the current affliction. And I encourage you, it's the same for you, dear believer. In sending painful affliction, God is saving you, delivering you, preventing you from a far greater evil than the evil of affliction, and that is the evil of sin. This truth is the only way that we will keep from being eaten up with bitterness because of affliction. To remember God's goodness, God has a good end, there's a product to it. There's a good end goal that God is bringing you to. This is the only way you'll be able to not be bitter 
This is the way Joseph was delivered from bitterness or prevented being eaten up with bitterness. Remember how his brothers had been so cruel to him? Remember how they sold him into slavery? They'd thrown him down into the pit, sold him into slavery. He went into slavery in Egypt. He was wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife. They threw him into prison, remember? But then at the end of it, remember how God put him on the throne as the most powerful ruler in the world? When his brothers threw him into the pit, really they didn't realize in the long shot they were throwing him up onto the throne to be a powerful ruler to deliver God's people from a global famine during that time. So when Joseph is reunited with his brothers, he tells them in Genesis 50 and verse 20 that you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. This is always how it is. They meant it for evil. But God means it for good. And the very worst your enemies can do to you, the very worst Satan can do to you, all they're doing is fulfilling God's purpose. Yeah, they're working according to their own free choice. They're not coerced. They're not forced against their will to afflict you. But yet, while they're doing their thing, they've got the worst purposes against you. All they're doing is fulfilling God's good purpose for you. And whatever they mean for evil, God means it for good. And God's good purpose will be accomplished. There's a good product to it. Third and lastly, not only have we seen the praise of affliction, it's good for me. The product of affliction. He said that I may learn your statutes. But third and lastly, the psalm teaches us of the passing nature of affliction. The psalmist says it's good for me that I have been afflicted or that I was afflicted. Past tense. He's looking back on his affliction. It's not present anymore. It's past. Dear Christian, I remind you today, one day you'll look back on all your afflictions. There will come a day in glory, or even before eternal glory at the resurrection in the intermediate state, if you die before the return of Christ, or if you live until Christ returns. You'll be able to look back on all your afflictions and say it's good for me that I was because I'm not now and I never will be afflicted again. My dear grandmother who passed away within the last couple of years, she always loved the phrase in Scripture and she would say it over and over again and it came to pass and it came to pass. Now that she's gone on to glory, she can say, and all believers who have gone on can say, it's all come to pass. All my afflictions are past. He's looking back on it. Just like the Apostle Paul told us in 2 Timothy 3.11, he tells us of the persecutions and afflictions that he faced. And he says, near the end of his life there, he says, out of them all the Lord delivered me. 
you'll be able to say this one day, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. If you face a million afflictions all at one time, there's not a one of them that God's not going to deliver from you from. He's going to deliver you from all of them. None of them will destroy your faith in Christ, dear Christian. You might not know how you're going to make it. You might fear that you'll deny His name. You might fear that you'll turn from Him, that you'll deny the faith. You might fear that you won't be able to weather the storm. And in yourself, no, you'd never make it. But God preserves you and He'll cause you to persevere. And these afflictions will only serve to strengthen and not to destroy your faith. Keep this in mind and remember the passing nature of afflictions. Even if it lasts the rest of your life, it's still temporary. All afflictions are temporary for God's people. None of them are permanent. None of them are eternal. They're all temporary. God may deliver you out of it in this life, but if He doesn't, if you live with that affliction your entire life, it's still temporary. And Paul said that these the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the, the glory, the exceeding weight of glory that awaits. Years ago, my cousin Matthew had gone to basic training in the U.S. Marine Corps. It was during the war in Iraq. And I wasn't able to attend, but my family attended his graduation at Camp Lejeune in South Carolina. And he'd just come through basic training. The last phase of it is the crucible. It's a 54-hour exercise with a 40-mile forced march, little sleep, and half rations. It's the most difficult part of the training. They'd gone through all those grueling difficulties, all the pain, all of the perseverance that it takes and now they're out there on the parade field and their dress blues marching in formation and as they lined up in front of their drill instructors for the first time instead of being called recruit like they were all the way through basic training for the first time they received the title marine and they're identified with the whole tradition of the U.S. Marine Corps and I've seen men a footage of men as they graduate basic training, standing there receiving the name of Marine and tears rolling down their face, tears of joy. The crucible is behind them. The forced march is behind them. That basic training is behind them. And now it's time for the parade march. It's time for celebration. Dear believer, no matter what crucible of faith you're in now, it won't always be this way. There's coming a day of pure glory, pure rejoicing in the new heavens and new earth. I encourage you to remember this and not be overwhelmed by whatever afflictions you may be in now or you may face in the future. It's just like it was with our Lord Jesus Christ. As you're in Christ, you'll experience what Christ experiences. There's that twofold aspect that you can sum up the entire Old Testament. The Apostle Peter tells us it was about the sufferings of Christ 
and the glory that should follow. Remember how Jesus rebuked the disciples on the Emmaus Road, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into His glory? Oh yeah, He suffered in a way we'll never suffer. But now it's all glory. He'll never suffer again. And all you who are in Christ, yeah, you'll suffer in this life. It's unavoidable. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Psalms tell us. But also in Christ, you will partake of His glory. And all suffering will be past. If you want to see the greatest display, the greatest reminder of the goodness of God in afflictions, there's nowhere that it's so clearly set forth as it is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whereas He took upon Him the wrath of God there as He cried, I thirst, as He tasted our hell. As the entirety of our eternal damnation is poured out upon Him and like a mighty storm cloud it pours out upon Him there at the cross. No man has ever faced affliction like this as Isaiah 53 tells us. He was oppressed and He was afflicted there at the cross. Can you think of any more extreme display of affliction? than what he suffered there. Not just the physical, that was the very least. I mean, enduring the infinite wrath of God due to guilty sinners. Man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And yet, can you think of any greater display of the gracious mercy and goodness of God to guilty sinners in setting forth His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, as He afflicted Him, as it pleased the Lord to crush Him, Isaiah tells us, so that we may be saved. Oh, what goodness. Oh, what grace God poured forth there to us in the afflictions of Christ. If you ever doubt God's goodness for you, dear believer, if you ever question His love for you, look back to the cross. Remember what Christ did for you there and how God offered Him up for us all. If He's given you His Son, will He not freely give you all things, the Apostle tells us. Take heart and take hope in affliction. Those of you who are still without Christ today, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Do you see how good God is that He even brings the worst afflictions to the good of His people? Do you see the free grace and goodness of God there at the cross for sinners so undeserving, sinners who are opposite of good, sinners who are evil and sinful, and yet Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners Do you see that? Do you see this day God calls to you? Do you hear this message that God invites you to come and have all your sins forgiven? I plead with you today and God pleads with you through His Word. What the psalmist tells us in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see 
that the Lord is good. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for the hope that You've given us in Christ. And we thank You for the hope that is set before us as Your people. That in this life we had hope we'd be of all men most miserable, but we thank You for the glory that awaits. And we thank You for Your good purpose, Your good design that You've decreed for Your people We don't deserve any of it, but we pray would you open our eyes to behold and to see by faith your goodness, even in afflictions. And we ask you to save our dear loved ones for your glory. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen.